All right, we have a lot of great things going on here. Uh, and so uh, encourage, uh, encourage you, if you aren't already, to, um, uh, to stick around after the worship service. We have uh, uh, strong kids going for the, uh, for the younger kids. And then uh, uh, we have a great study in Revelation going on for adults. And um, we had our first uh, meeting with, with the teens going over the doctrinal statement last week. And we'll continue going through that this week. So I encourage you just to, to, to stick around. Um, the, the restaurants aren't even open until what? You know, so you, you've got time to get there. By the way, that last song we sang, that had to be a Getty song, right? It wasn't a Getty song. I hadn't heard that one before. What a fantastic, we can do that one again. All right, so uh, uh, that really was a, a, fantastic, a fantastic song for us to prepare ourselves for the for the word of the Lord this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that your word is true, uh, that it is incredibly relevant. Um, a lot of times people think incorrectly that something that is thousands of years old wouldn't have a whole lot to do with us here today, but your word is as relevant today as, as the day the pen touched the paper. And we just thank you that, um, uh, that it is powerful than any two-edged sword uh, and, um, and that it always accomplishes its purpose. We just thank you for your revealed will found in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I was asked a really good question this past week, <coughs> excuse me, by, by friends of ours, and it's a question that many people have when considering their adult children that are not interested in church, the Bible, or Christianity. And the question was, why do you think kids that grew up going to church become disinterested in following Christ? Isn't that a great question? And it's a question that I think many people ask all the time. Following Christ really is the issue. It's, it's not just church attendance. That's a symptom of a bigger issue of, of disinterested in following Christ. Avoiding church is a symptom of the bigger issue, their commitment to Christ. And the answer is simple to this question, but not easy. The reason people neglect their walk with Christ is that they don't believe they have a future appointment with Christ. If they truly believe that one day they will stand before Christ, parents wouldn't have to convince them to become active in a local church body that is committed to knowing the Word of God. It would be impossible to keep them away if people really believed they had an appointment with Christ. For those of you who are in that situation with your adult kids, you hear the excuses and know that those excuses are going to sound foolish when they stand before the judge, Jesus Christ. The excuses sound fine to someone who doesn't really believe in the reality of Christ's soon return. And what is that reality? What is that reality? In 1 Peter 4, 7, it says, The end of all things is at hand. That is the reality. If you look back at 1 Peter 4, 5 that we went through last week, you will see that Jesus is ready to judge. He's ready. As a kid, I remember being told by my parents that my parents were ready to go. It was a lie. They were never ready. Most weekends, my family would go to the home of or, or host family friends. We would stop at Happy Corner Pizza. We make it, you bake it. 
and the parents would play the card game Rook while the kids disappeared from their parents' presence. If you interrupted their card game, you'd better have a good reason. The other family had a son my age, and we were good friends, so there was no reason for us to hang out with the old people. We were having fun, and they didn't want to know what we were up to anyway. At the end of the evening, the parents would call out to the kids, Ready to go? It wasn't so much a question as it was a warning that the time to leave was approaching. It didn't take the kids long to be ready. What did we have to do? Find our shoes? Find your coat when it was winter? There really wasn't anything else for us to do to be ready. After that announcement, then came the standing around doing nothing while the adults continued to talk to one another, except they talked closer to the door. Is this ringing true for anybody else? Uh, What I was annoyed with as a kid, I now find myself doing as an adult. And you know why I do it? Because I can. (laughs) Right? I learned that... uh, Are you ready to go or being ready or uh, when they said that my job was to stand there and wait. I tried to leave to continue playing because my mom continued to talk to her friend and then I would be quickly called back and would be told hey don't go anywhere we are about to leave which again was a lie. (laughs) They weren't ready. I knew they were at least three, no, three more pronouncements of readiness still to come before we would actually walk out of the house. But understand this, Jesus is ready to bring all things to an end. He is ready to judge. There is nothing left for him to wait on before wrapping it up. The only thing Jesus is waiting on is the go-ahead from the Father. That's it. That's all that's left. Nothing else needs to take place. He's just waiting for the father to say, go get your bride. That's it. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 and 17, it says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And that could happen any moment. Any moment. In referencing the second coming of Christ, James wrote in in his epistle, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It draws near. The end of this age is coming soon. And when the boss shows up, you want to be found doing what the boss told you to do. We need to live in the reality of Christ's soon return. Jesus is ready to judge. We need to make sure we are ready to be judged. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Let's make sure we are prepared by double-checking some aspects of our life and if we are off in some areas, let's make sure we get those, make sure we get those right. That's what we're going to look at this morning, and, and First Peter tells us what we need to do to be ready and how we need to get right. The first one is we need to get our mind right. Get your mind right. 
So when it said the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So my mind needs to be self-controlled and sober. Back at the beginning of this letter, Peter, Peter introduced the importance of having a readied mind. In 1 Peter 1.13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now Peter addresses the same issue, having a prepared mind. The opposite of sober-minded is having a frenzied, chaotic mind. Settle your mind, settle your thinking. The Lord's soon return should not cause panic. Instead, it requires clear thinking about life, about values, and about priorities. Clear thinking. Why does it matter? Peter tells us it matters for the sake of your prayers. It matters for the sake of your prayers. Knowing that Christ is returning soon and that the end of all things are at hand propels us to prayer if our mind is right. If our mind isn't right, we won't think to pray. But when our mind is right, when it is sober-minded, when we have control, we're not frenzied, when we think about the Lord's soon return, what other choice do we have but to pray? We become more reliant upon God as we recognize that our ability to affect change is very small. So we pray because we recognize we're dependent on him. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 27. He said, And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Instead of worry and anxiousness, a mind that is right relies on prayer to the one who holds all in the palm of his hand. Not only does a self-controlled, serious-minded individual person spend more time praying, but their prayers are also, simply put, better. Their prayer life will be described as clear, reasonable, and serious. Here's what Jesus said about serious prayer. And serious prayer involves self-control. He said, skipped ahead there, excuse me. He said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Have self-control in prayer. Serious prayer keeps a person away from temptation. If tempted, I might sin. It is better for me to stay away from temptation. When I first got married, there was an art gallery in the local mall, and there was a particular painting of a wooden ship crashing through the waves that I absolutely loved. Whenever I would go to the mall, I would stop at the gallery and stare at that painting. We couldn't afford it, but staring is free. Before I knew it, a sales associate had placed in my hand an application for financing, reassuring me that everything would be okay. They worked on commission. I escaped, barely. And then we never stepped inside that store again. 
or even went down by that side of the mall. I avoided it completely because I was weak, so I stayed away. Serious prayer keeps one away from temptation. Jesus was teaching a lesson to the disciples about preparing themselves for the soon coming kingdom of God, and he said to them, and it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with the dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. He's saying instead of being weighed down with drunken behaviors or, or worries, instead, Jesus says to the awake, to stay awake, praying for the strength to escape and the strength to stand before the Son of Man, which is Jesus. We need to get our mind right and live in the reality of Christ's soon coming. And we're going to do that by being serious in our prayer, by being, having, having self-control in our prayer. I heard some good advice from, from a, a pastor over in West Louisiana. He said, instead of trying to find a comfortable place to pray, he said, find an uncomfortable place to pray. He said, your prayers will be so much, uh, so much more well thought out and your ability to stay on task instead of drifting off. He said, that happens when you're comfortable. He says, get uncomfortable when you pray. And I, I think there's a, a lot of wisdom to that. Uh, but we'll be serious about our prayer. We'll have self-control when we pray. Uh, instead of, instead of uh, starting our prayer and the next thing we know, we're, we're thinking about some TV show, YouTube thing, some newspaper article, and then we go, what was I doing? We'll be a lot more serious when we, when we recognize, hey, Christ is coming soon. We've got a lot to talk about. I need his help in a lot of areas. I have a lot of people to, to pray for because Christ is soon coming. We'll be more serious in our prayers. But we also need to get our actions right. Get our actions right. If we're going to live in the reality of Christ's return, we need to get our mind right and our actions right. In this section that, uh, that we're looking at in 1 Peter, there are, there are three one-anothers. Three one-anothers that have to do with action. In verse 8, it says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is the one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Three one another's. The first one was keep loving one another. Keep loving one another. It's that action of continuing to do it. Continuing to do it. In times of persecution, it is important that people in the church love one another. How are Christians to love one another? The English word that is used here in the ESV says earnestly. Some synonyms of earnestly are exhaustively, intensely, painstakingly, unremittingly. The idea of the Greek word is often used to stretch out like an athlete's muscles when they are straining in their athletic endeavors. 
That is how we are to love one another. We aren't called to love only the lovable, but those who aren't being lovable at the moment. I like to think that I'm always lovable, but I'm not. And you know what? My wife needs to love me anyway. She promised to, and I'm going to hold her to it. We need to love one another with great commitment and a dependence on Christ. His love was stretched all the way to the cross. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait to die until they were being more lovable. It was in the moment of of persecuting him, in the moment of offending him, Jesus said, I'm going to love you by dying for you, by paying the, the sins, by paying the cost of your sins, the penalty of sins. He loved us while we were still sinners. That is the degree we are to love and care for each other. Peter adds the reminder that love covers a multitude of sin. Jesus' love for us was demonstrated by dying in our place, which removed our debt of sin because he paid that debt. Love covers a multitude of sins, right? The sins of the world, for God so loved the world that he came. That's how much. In Proverbs 10, 12, it says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Love is willing to overlook an offense. Love is willing to overlook an offense. Love doesn't nail somebody when the opportunity comes because it's in our power to do so. Instead, love is willing to overlook an offense. I think in our culture and society today, we have gotten ready to be offended. Right? We are ready to be offended. We are on the edge, and, and boy, if we can, and if, it's like some people get excited about being offended, and they're just waiting for it. And, and sometimes things are said that aren't even offensive, but when you're ready to be offended, you can easily take it that way. Uh, I'm, I'm guilty of that. If, you know, if, if, uh, if I mentioned before, I had three older brothers. And, um, you know, there would, we would have moments of intense fellowship. And, uh, and sometimes things would be said that weren't offensive, but I was, I was already angry. So I took it the absolute worst possible way you could take it. Uh, maybe you've been around somebody who's, who's letting off steam about somebody who's offended them. And you were there. When, when the person said a thing that they're offended at, and you're thinking, well, that's not how they said it at all. That happens. We, hatred stirs up strife. But love is willing to let things go. And sometimes we are wronged. Sometimes we are wronged. But love is, says, I'm not going to jump down their throat on that. I'm not, let me just, I'm, gonna, I'm going to choose to overlook this particular offense. I'm going to choose to overlook it. Uh, you know, if, if, unless you live in a cave by yourself, you're going to have to deal with people. And, and always remember, we are people, right? Um, 
When I, when I point with one finger at somebody, I've got three other fingers, and where are they pointing? Back at me, right? Always keep that in mind. Uh, but love is willing to overlook some of those offenses. And we'll, we'll, we'll go a little deeper into that in, in just a moment. But, uh, but hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Let's for a moment, though, discuss what it is not meant by Christian love. Christian love does not mean the following. It does not mean we condone sin. We condone sin. A lot of times, well, if you loved me, you would support me or be happy for me when I am violating God's moral standards. That's not what love is. I know a gentleman who made clear to his children the conditions in which he would attend their weddings. And he missed one of his daughter's weddings. Much pressure was placed on him to attend. He was called hateful and old-fashioned. He accepted the husband once they had made a covenant before God with their vows, but would not condone the sinful condition in which they entered their marriage. That, that would be tough, wouldn't it? But he wanted to make sure that he wasn't condoning the, their sin. It doesn't mean hiding sin. When a church leader falls into a major sin area, sometimes it is necessary to expose that sin. If a youth pastor has an affair with, with a young lady, love covering a multitude of sin doesn't mean keep it a secret or pretend it never happened. If the church treasure embezzles money, a church doesn't keep him as treasure. Forgiveness and restitution should be sought, but a, a church shouldn't deny that it ever happened and keep operating as though nothing had in fact happened. It doesn't mean to hide the sin or ignore it. Nor does this say that, that we need to deny personal pain? Love is willing to overlook an offense, but God knows our hurt, no point in denying it. But love allows us to seek restored fellowship and a desire to work together to achieve great commission objectives. Love keeps us from tearing down with slander and gossip. Sometimes love is expressed by what we say, but sometimes love is expressed by what we don't say. But it doesn't mean that we deny certain things. Sometimes people have been severely sinned against. And then they'll be told by some person standing behind a podium that they shouldn't feel bad about it or they should just proceed as though nothing had happened. Love doesn't deny that personal pain. Um, having, having worked in, in teen ministry and, and having done some things in, in schools, um, Kids will tell you some of the things that are going on where they have, the law has been violated, where they have, they have undergone horrible things. That doesn't mean that we just proceed as though nothing happened or we say you need to get over it. Those, those issues, sometimes to protect others as well, they need to be brought to authorities' attention. Uh, a lot of you, if you work in children's ministry, this this might be a surprise to you, you are a mandatory reporter of sexual misconduct. And that's a good thing. It's an uncomfortable thing, but it's a good thing. That love doesn't mean we deny it, or we ignore it, or we tell somebody to get over it. Um, but there's a difference between being sinned against and, and being offended. Right? There's a difference there. Um, sin sometimes absolutely offends, it should, it offends God every, every single time. Uh, but, but there's a difference between overlooking an offense 
and, and telling somebody to get over a horrible act that was committed against them. Uh, and, and we need the wisdom to know, to know the difference. So love doesn't mean that. But 1 Corinthians tells us what love is. And we read some of those verses this morning. In 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The second one another that Peter expresses is show hospitality to one another. Show hospitality to one another. How important would it be for Christians undergoing persecution to show hospitality to one another? If you lose clients because of your commitment to Christ, fellow believers can help by giving of themselves and the supplies that God has blessed them with. On more than one occasion, my family has received anonymous gifts that got us through financially difficult times. Hurricane Ida dealt a blow to us, but people from all over the country have helped us recover. Hospitality is also important in that getting to know each other only while inside the walls of the church does not do the job. Enjoying the hospitality in someone's home is much more beneficial. Did you know that the church was built and is being built today through hospitality? The apostles stayed in homes of believers as they traveled all over the world. Church buildings were homes of believers. People would open up their home and say, we're going to meet as a church here. The prophets relied on hospitality. Jesus traveled from town to town being shown hospitality by families. So hospitality isn't this nice thing to do if you have the time. It is essential to the health and growth of the church. One day very soon, we're going to have dinner for six here at Mandeville Bible Church, where we're going to, if you're interested in doing this, we're going to have uh, families come together, six to eight people around that amount, and meet in each other's homes and have dinner together. Because there's just something about eating with people, right? And potlucks are great. I love them. I, if they had a position at a big church called the potluck pastor, <laughs> I would send my resume. Right? They're fantastic. But to have each other in each other's homes uh, in smaller groups, and not just the people we know, but the people we, we don't know, uh, people of different ages, uh, what a, what a great thing to, to be able to do that. The church grows through hospitality. Uh, as we mentioned, um, Mario gave a report at the men's breakfast, one of the ways they are reaching out. And I believe he said they had around 20 women come to a, a Christmas um, gingerbread house-making uh, deal that, that Mario's wife put together. And, and 20 in a hard area where, where people don't extend friendship quick they had over 20 people come uh, and, um, and be a part of that. Where did that take place? In the church building? No. 
that took place in a home, and it was very beneficial to do so. Hospitality is vital to the health of a church, and a healthy church is important in getting us ready for Christ's soon return, isn't it? Yep. Peter commands that hospitality be done joyfully, not complaining. Because hospitality isn't always easy. Most of us would need a day or two to get the house in order. We have a friend, uh, and the wife would say, if you come to see us, come on in. If you've come to see the home, we need 48 hours. The last action that we need to take is to serve one another. Serve one another. Peter's instruction to serve one another is specific to how God has gifted you. This past fall, Nick Greco taught a series on spiritual gifts. Uh, They were filmed and placed on our YouTube channel. I encourage you to find those on YouTube if you weren't able to to make those, those lessons. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit entrusts to the believer special gifts to be used in serving one another. We all have talents, abilities, and skills to be used by God, but God gave believers a special gift enabled by his Spirit. This gift doesn't belong to us. The gift belongs to God. How do we know that? How do we know that uh, it doesn't belong to us? Because in the verses in, in 1 Peter that we went over, it says, because we are called stewards. Stewards. A steward manages another's property. For us older folks, how many of you remember from Magnum P.I. Higgy? All right, you remember Higgy? Higgy was the one who ran the property of the uh, wealthy individual that Magnum stayed in, in that home. Higginson ran the estate. It wasn't his but it was completely his in authority or to do as, as what needed to be done. We have, as stewards, been given spiritual gifts. Those gifts don't belong to us. They belong to the Spirit, to God. And we are to use it. God says, here's the spiritual gift. Now use it to serve one another. He doesn't necessarily tell us every single thing we need to do, but he says, here is the spiritual gift. Use it. For the benefit of others. We are to use those gifts for God's purposes, for God's glory. We shouldn't brag about our giftedness. What do we have of value that wasn't given to us by God? It would be as silly as me to brag about having two ears as to brag about the spiritual gift God has given me. I didn't do anything to achieve it. It was given to me by God. And when we don't use God's spiritual gift that he has given to us for his purpose, we're acting very arrogantly as though it were our gift, that it came from us, and therefore we can decide what should happen. Instead, recognize that this is a gift that God has given, and I'm going to use it for his purpose. He says, speak not with your own ideas, if if God has given you the the spiritual gift of teaching or, or exhortation. Do not speak with your own ideas, but speak God's ideas. Don't serve with your own strength, but with the strength 
supplied by God. Why? Why is it important, particularly, not to serve with your own strength, but with God's strength? And the last one has to do with this. We need to get our priorities right. We need to get our priorities right. What is the priority? That God may be glorified. Not we, not us, but that God be glorified. God is glorified anytime he is made known, either by what he has done or by his characteristics, his perfections. If we serve in our own strength, we glorify ourselves and not God. If we speak our own thoughts and ideas, we glorify ourselves and not God. If we grumble about hospitality, our hospitality is now centered on us, right? And we glorify ourselves and not God. If we love without being stretched, then our love is without faith. And without faith, we glorify ourselves and not God. Our motivation, our priorities must begin and end with a desire to glorify God and to make him known. Peter ends this section by saying, To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are against the culture. Not because we want to be hostile or looking for a fight, but this world is against you, and we want to follow you. We want to follow your Son. We want to follow uh, the Word made flesh, but we want to follow the Word in Scripture. And that puts us at odds with our culture. And Father, that, that means that difficulty can come. We're, we're, not, we're not comfortable here, nor should we be. But Father, we know that your word has promised nothing else needs to happen before you send your son. We're just waiting on that word. He's just waiting on your word to where all things will come to an end, where, where we, will, we, we are approaching that finish line. And Father, as we approach... Help us to have our mind correct, that we are serious and sober-minded about what we're doing. Uh, That doesn't mean that we aren't fun because all good things have have come from you and and who knows better about fun than you. Uh, But Father, that we are serious about why we're here uh, and serious in in what we're doing uh, and uh, and that we don't don't let worry um, keep us from understanding truth. Uh, And Father, that there are certain actions that you want from us. You want us to love one another. That's a high priority. To show hospitality to one another and to serve one another. Father, help us to seek those things first. And that in doing so, that we'll actually find the the contentment uh, and the satisfaction that we think we find other places. Father, we just thank you that, that it's not about glorifying us because that would make no sense, but instead we're to bring you glory and honor because you are deserving of it, and, uh, and that uh, we'll never waste our time bringing you glory and recognizing your authority. Father, we ask in your timing, but our hearts say, send him. Send Jesus to come get us. Send him to call us up so we can enjoy uh, eternity with, with you forever in your, in your presence and in the presence of your Son. 
But until then, help us to be serious about what we're doing uh, and that we will be right in our minds and in our, in our actions and in our motivation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.